1: Welcome to the Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Christina Carlson, welcome to the Mentor.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
1: Christina's, but with a K, Carlson's, but with a K, Carlson, double S O N. Like, it's so Swedish. What's I the know. deal? I'm like, did you make that name, <laughs> up Boris? Is that for real?
2: <laughs> it is for real. That's
1: yeah, for real. Yeah. And uh, you were the founder and creative director. Um, well, you yeah, the founder and creative director of your new business called The Dream Life and the Products that You have, um, we'll talk about that in a moment, but you're also equally famously founder and creator of another business called uh Kiki K. Yes, is Kiki like your nickname? Yeah, yeah, so Kiki Carlson, Kiki K, Kiki. K, so Swedish born, came to Australia when you're 22 years of old uh, age, I should say, in 1995. Why the hell did uh Kiki, Kiki Carlson come to Australia? What was that about?
2: Well. I grew up on a farm in Sweden and uh, as kids, we never got to travel because we lived on a farm and it was always something to do. So my dream as a kid was to see the world outside the farm, outside my little town and outside Sweden. So I traveled for a few years and uh, then I ended up in a ski resort in Austria. And that's where I met my partner, Paul. And then I thought maybe just another year and go and see Australia. I've never been to Australia, felt like so, so far away. Came to Melbourne and absolutely loved it and thought I might stay here. And uh, I love Australia because the mentality is, I, well, maybe for me, because I came as with no network, no friends, you know, really only knew Paul and i just felt there was was an opportunity to do whatever i wanted to do so i started to dream and um uh, i was a bit lost when i came here because i didn't know what to do with my life because my kind of travel uh side was done in terms of i i thought i need to do something a bit more serious and one of my dreams was to start a business and um that's what i did
1: but what, what is it about the Australian culture that you became so enamored with particularly melbourne because You're in Sydney now, (laughs) you're in my territory. And uh, we have a great um, rivalry with Melbourne and Sydney is definitely different to Melbourne and and vice versa. So what is it that you saw in Melbourne culturally that appealed to you?
2: Well, I don't know if it's the culture, but for me coming with no kind of pre- Fixed way of doing things. I, I felt like I just had to learn it from beginning. I had no idea how to do anything, so I kind of just took step by step and and uh, really loved the uh, positive um, outlook on entrepreneurship and business. And are we are we like that? But that's how mean, well, how you
1: saw it, anyway. That's
2: how I saw it. And maybe because in Sweden, I was kind of, you know, I was not entrepreneurial, but I worked in hospitality and I worked for an entrepreneur that I learned so much from. And I, I felt like in Sweden, it was a certain way of doing things. And I think that's in every culture that you're used to. But for me, it was... A new kind of blank sheet, a blank sheet of paper, uh, coming to a new country, and I, I'm I, I ended up in Melbourne, but I love Sydney. I actually want to live in Sydney, but my family don't want to live in Sydney, but I'm working on that.
1: <laughs> don't tell them, no, anyone from Melbourne that you're thinking that way. Fair to say that um, other places in Europe, particularly. In Northern Europe, are more rules based.
2: Yeah, it's a much more in in from my point of view. It's much more. This is how we do things. It's yeah. it's not just in in business. It's uh, it's the culture, and yeah. I think we all have that. Every country have our own kind of rules, the way we think we should behave. Or, but when I came here, I just felt like I didn't have that, and I I I thought you know I I didn't know anything about business, and I started from scratch, learning everything, but I had lots of mentors and uh, learned a lot along the way, (laughs) to say the least. Let's
1: talk about your um, conception of Kiki K, the stationary business. So we're going back, what year are we talking about?
2: Well, our first store opened 2001, so it was a couple of years before that. So, um, you know, kind of when the internet was starting, which is hard to believe.
1: Wow. Late (laughs) 90s. So that was the tech boom. So do you remember the moment first?
2: Oh, absolutely. So, so I when I came to Australia, I was really excited, but I was lost, as I said before. So I I was whinging and complaining quite a lot, and for anyone who will listen, I would say, "What am I going to do with my life?" And of course, no one will answer that for you. But one morning at three am, I woke up my partner Paul. I think I think for the fifth time, just saying, "What am I going to do?" Like I'm, I really need to do something. Some, something I'm excited about. And he was a bit overhearing it. So he turned on the light at 3am and said, why don't we write down what is important to you? So 3am, I wrote down my dreams on paper and they were, I wanted to drive to work on a Monday and loving it because I feel like we do, you know, we spend so much time at work or in our businesses that we have to love it. Uh, I wanted to have a business on my own. No idea what that was going to be. I wanted to have a connection with Sweden. My little brother had cancer at the time, so I had to go home a couple of times and he's well now. But um, I thought I want to have the flexibility to not being able to, you know, to be able to go home whenever I wanted to. And then I wanted to work with Swedish design. I'm really passionate about, you know, beautiful design and the environment to me is really important at home, but also in in my office. And then I wanted to make $500 a week. And that was based on paying rent, eating some yummy, amazing food and wine, and then um, uh, go home once a year. And that was my little list of dreams. And then when, you know, a few... A few days later, I thought I better start somewhere. And then I looked at my list and I thought, well, if I'm going to have my own business, I have to have a beautiful home office. So I'll start with that, setting it up so I can have a place to be creative and think think what I was going to do. So I went out, this is in the late 90s, um, and there was only really, you know, the you know the big box retailers, you know, David Jones, Myers, um, Works, and news agents that actually had stationery. And when I walked out uh, to get some, I was just like, this is so boring, in my opinion, badly designed f- from my opinion and it was a price driven category so it was all about you know making it as cheap as possible and the quality wasn't great and it was definitely nothing I wanted to have in my home office so I went home and I thought this is really this is not fun and then I thought in in as you know in the challenge there's always opportunities and then I thought well maybe this is my calling so I got really excited and I I rushed him home to Paul and I said I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to open beautiful Swedish design stores, specializing in stature and home office because that was that time. And I'm going to open stores around the world. And he thought I was crazy because back then I worked for a corporate travel agency because travel was one of my passions. And, um, and when they asked me to create a invoice, I actually thought it was a voice system. That's how basic (laughs) my knowledge (laughs) was and, uh, thought I was a bit crazy, but um, I am a big dreamer and I truly believe that I can do anything. So I thought I'm just going to start and Yellow Pages back in the days, you know, the big uh, thick book. I did S for stationery and I went to see every single supplier and I was talking about my global retail concept. And the reason I wanted to have a retail store was because I felt like you need to have a really beautiful visual way of displaying the products and um i uh, i i envisaged having retail stores but i didn't know anything about retail i didn't know i didn't know how to put together notebooks all the supplies for was- laughing at me and um, it was funny because uh, a few years later I had a thank you dinner for the people who helped me the most and one of the suppliers, I invited him and I, he laughed at me when I came and said I'm going to start a global empire and uh, and I said to him in my talk that you should never laugh at your smallest customer because one day they might, they might become your biggest one which we did and we outgrow them and then started to produce in China.
1: You had this concept was quite exciting as a result of going into another store where you th- thought the stuff was pretty crap. Yeah. at least didn't appeal to you, probably didn't feel very good, It probably didn't look very good in terms of quality. But you said something interesting, you like Swedish design. Yeah. What's Swedish design?
2: I think in a very simple way, less is more. So this is not just design but it's the environment and, and growing up in Sweden, I kind of took that for granted. Like all our publics, places in sweden are really inspiring and just like quality and because we grew up you know you mentioned before it's cold and it's dark we're really good at lighting it's just beautifully put together and it's often you know nature and inspired by raw materials and beautiful aesthetics so it's very very um Less is more is kind of how I explain Swedish design. It's, and it's funny because as a Swedish person, it just I just see it and I just feel it, but it's hard to kind of explain it if if people don't know it.
1: Yeah, it well, I mean, I sort of know a little bit about it in terms of furniture, I mean, particularly things like, um, I don't know what the timber's called, but like oak-looking yeah. timber, like yeah. light-coloured timbers, yeah. which sort of makes sense in a dark environment. You don't want heavy English mahogany or something yeah, laying no. around the <laughs> joint, which, you know, to be honest, I can't stand that type of furniture myself. But it's sort of, you want something to look like it's easy to lift, um, it's beautiful to look at, great to touch. But also, you, light, I think light is an important part of this or how light reflects off the material. Absolutely. And how our eyes sense that color and then send a message to our brain. And maybe there's even some psychology in this that makes you feel better because it's lighter, particularly in a dark environment simplicity, softness, maybe curves, I don't know, but it seems like to me to be a real study. Like I can imagine you could do a real study in this, but you yeah. try to take that essence is I guess is what you're saying and put it into stationery. Is that yeah. what you did?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the beginning it was like, you know, magazine holders, storage boxes, things for your home office to keep you organised. How yeah. did you do that? For us growing up in Sweden, we were surrounded by beautiful things all the time and I felt like that was missing. It was very, very much very different aesthetics here. So I knew what I wanted. I worked with a Swedish graphic designer and I also with-
1: In Sweden or here?
2: Here. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So we started it all here. And uh, and I even one of my girlfriends, um, she was a um, illustrator, so she illustrated my cards. So in the beginning, I borrowed $3,000 from Paul to st- start my uh, first sample range. Because when my friends saw what I was going to do, everyone just said, oh yeah, that's amazing. It was too good to be true. So I created some samples and I asked my friends to invite their friends at almost like a party. Tupperware. Pla- Tupperware kind of thing. It, but, it sounds like it, yeah. But yes, but I didn't call it that. No. <laughs> I, I call it more research, but I sold my products because it's one thing to say, oh, I'm going to spend, you know, $10 on this, but to, for you to give me that $10, as you know, it's, diff- it's a different story. So I uh, it gave me confidence then to convince Paul to sell his house to... Whoa. Yeah. Were you married to him what's the deal? <laughs> no. Were you yeah,
1: just hanging out together? He sold his house? But
2: yeah, he sold his house too. But he really believed in this and got involved. You know, we did this, you know, I kind of started it because I... I worked out what I was going to do with my life. But then once he sold his house, he joined me in the business. Fair enough. Very fair enough. And uh, he said to me, I'm going to help you until you're on your feet. But I obviously never got on my feet. And we worked together until I think it was 2016 when he um, he he felt like it was time to hand over to a professional CEO uh, in terms of someone who's done it before. And we took some private equity uh, in and we tried two different CEOs, didn't work out.
1: Um, Do you mind if I ask you this?
2: Yeah, no, I don't mind anything. Christina,
1: what's it like to come home at night, have a meal with your partner, jump in the scratcher, wake up in the morning and go to work with your partner? Man. <laughs> that, that sounds like a hard thing to manage to me. Are you still partners?
2: Yes, yeah. And that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. That's um, amazing.
1: That is amazing.
2: Everyone that talks about this subject always say that they can't work with their partner. And if you said it to me 25 years ago, I probably would have said the same because you can't even imagine working with your partner. But when we started this business and we put everything in it and we had really different skills and different strength.
1: He's not Swedish, I guess. No,
2: he's not. He's yep. Australian. Right. He's much more structured. He's much better on the financial side than I was. I mean, I learned all that, but it, I wasn't as interested in that. I was I was a creative force, but he's also very creative. He's really good at marketing. His background is marketing. So we kind of build this business based on our skills marketing. I, I've decided quickly to be the face. I'm an introvert, so it was, it was a... Um, not an easy decision, but because we didn't have any budget, I decided quickly to to go out and do all the, you know, do all the photo shoots and enter awards. We won lots of awards. Um,
1: and you didn't have to pay someone else.
2: Yeah. And also I think um, back then, it's very different now, but back then there wasn't a lot of female entrepreneurs. I always felt that if I can do it, so can anyone else who decides to go for it and you know you need to work hard you have to have a good business idea obviously but if I can do it anyone can and I always felt that I wanted to share that because for me it was all about mindset you know I didn't have the skills I had no idea about retail but all those kind of skills you can learn as you know in business but the mindset. If you don't have the right mindset, I think it's really hard to survive. I never gave up. I had on on the wall above our CFO, "Don't say no, say how," because I was always asking for more money uh, for products. I felt like the reason why we we managed to get through all the challenges because obviously we had a lot of challenges lately. But before that, we you know business has its ups and downs, and and uh, I felt like we had that mindset to never give up and always finding a way.
1: So what happened? Tell me what happened because obviously it didn't end up all that well.
2: Yeah, no. At the end
1: of the day. So Kiki K gets launched, um, uh, partner sells his house, you reinvest that dough, I guess, into the business. You build a business. Uh, it does it go beyond Australia, does it go global?
2: Yeah, so we, so we were in five countries.
1: Five countries. So it's 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 well accepted. The brand's good. Oh,
2: loved by millions. Like every time I meet someone who who um when I talk about Kiki K, everyone loves it. The,
1: the quality of the product. I mean, I have bought
2: uh, oh, stuff you.
1: from Kiki K <laughs> many, many years ago, of course. But I've bought it for you know, partners of mine. You know, yeah. Just as as uh,
2: good gift. De-
1: desk gift. Yeah. You know, like yeah. uh, something they could use to, you know, it's nearly like parchment paper that you could write something nice on, yeah. which people don't do these days, unfortunately. But, yeah, it's a rare thing. Um, and I remember I think I'm pretty sure I bought something for my mother once um, for because she was a prolific writer of notes or letters, I should say. Um, and uh, so it was global um, or, or at least it was in a lot of countries. Um, it looked like a really successful business. So what happened?
2: Well, it was in so, in so many ways. But you know, we survived for over twenty years. That's not. That's I feel. That's business. pretty good. Yeah. Well, I think we turned over over six hundred and fifty million in that time. So it was definitely a business that. You know, we did really well in so many aspects. I think we had the perfect – so we were in five countries. So we're in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong and the UK. And I felt like we had the perfect storm. We had Brexit in the UK, which was not great. You know, all the things were happening in Hong Kong and bushfires in Australia. And retail is hard, like, you know, with – you know, especially in that transition with – people going more online and, and it, so it wasn't an easy one and, you know, and technology taking over paper. So and rents are
1: expensive. Yeah. Overheads, oh, overheads.
2: Absolutely. Because you gotta,
1: you got to fill the stores yeah. with people who you Abs- got to pay wages to.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, over Christmas when we had a lot of casuals, we would have over 1,000 people employed. So, so it, was, it became a, a big business. And, and I think it was 2016 where Paul felt we took in um, a private equity firm to go global. And the reason why I always kind of had my eyes to go global was because I felt like we did so many amazing things. And, you know, it started with home office, but as I evolved as a person, it became much more about um, personal growth and uh, for me to have the right mindset and for helping people to work out what they wanted to do in their life. So our purpose was to inspire people to live their dream life by dreaming, doing, enjoying and sharing. So that was our purpose. So I felt like we did so many amazing things and it was, I thought it was always a shame that not everyone around the world had access to our products. We had a lot of people coming in to our stores who were, either, you know, suffering with depress, depression or just got diagnosed by, um, with cancer. There was so many Aspect that you wouldn't think we wasn't we we were not just a stationary business. We were something much much. Your
1: customers had stories, yeah, yeah, their own stories. Yeah. This wasn't just a transaction, no. Like when you go to some of your competitors who are just sort of a little bit further down the chain in terms of, you know, the quality of the product is more about tr- pr- transactions about the price, um, and about and you know like it's uh, you know nearly commoditized stuff. Yeah, you you took an apart an investor a, an equity a private yeah. equity group. What was that? A, a, what was that? experience like having someone, a big, big private equity group?
2: Yeah, but we had over the year, so so Paul only had one house to sell and then we uh, worked with our shop fitter to kind of fund the next five stores or so. And then we had lots of different investors over the year, private equity as that we bought back and private investors that, you know, came in and out. And so that was kind of the way we funded the business. And um, when we decided to go really global, so open in the UK, wanted to open in the US um, we took on a bigger chunk of money and that's when we decided to take on a CEO and also for us to lose control of the business
1: so what does that mean lose control of the business mean Did that
2: it? meant that we were not the major in, shareholder yeah we were not no longer the major shareholder and also we you know we didn't control the you know, the-, the
1: decision making. Correct. So, and generally, but we were speak- still
2: on the board and we still owned about 40%. Yeah,
1: but when usually when big investors come in, generally speaking, one of the conditions of precedent is they say, Well, we'd like to install our own CFO and our own CEO. So they like to look at the C suite yeah. of people there because yeah. the way they can control the business is through the senior, senior, yeah. senior management. Yeah. Is that what happened?
2: No, we we um, we employ the CEO um, and it was. It, I don't know I it's a hard one but because we we failed twice with us we had one first we 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 employed a CEO and we did a lot of work and we have we both been in EO and YPO and a lot of friends who have gone through that trans transition from founders to a CEO and the first one didn't work out um and then the second one didn't work out but the the hardest thing then was that we were not in control anymore and um and then the things didn't go, you know, we had the perfect storm that I spoke about for Brexit and and um, bushfires and all the things that were happening at, at once. And then there, someone contacted us from China, a uh, the world's largest manufacturer, they wanted to buy us and the private equity were happy to get out. So we worked on that deal. Buy the whole thing yeah we were me and Paul were still going to remain shareholders right. but much smaller um, but he was really just interested in China and we couldn't do the rest of the world. and um so we so we met with them and thought this makes made sense got really high quality you know high quality manufacturers so it was kind of perfect um, and I felt like that deal was done. Uh, it was just really the you know behind the scenes all the paperwork, etc. And it took a long time. And then I was in Germany just before COVID happened. And I was there with one of their employees. And she said, I'm really worried about this virus. And I was like, just another virus. And, uh, you know, I'm a bit, <laughs> I'm an optimistic person. I was just like, well, well, you know, we'll get through anything. As an entrepreneur, I think you have to have that mindset. Of course, that was the beginning of COVID. So they pulled out. Uh, and did
1: they deal. walk because of the relationship between Australia and China got uh, testy or did they, or no. they they just pulled out?
2: Yeah, they they got worried. Yeah. So they pulled out. And then uh, our private equity put us into admin. admin.
1: Is that because the company was... Um, trading insolvently. In other words, the the uh, of running the business was higher than the revenues coming in.
2: Yeah. So, so we needed we ne- we took a lot of on a lot of investments to go overseas. So we needed another round of funding, and I didn't want to do that. So once once we didn't have that deal on the on the table anymore, they pulled they pulled out and they just say, hey, we're not going to fund it any longer. Yeah. For someone who treated their business as a family that was so hard like it was the saddest day of my life but worked really well with the private equity worked really well with our um, board and um, I knew the whole time through this that someone would pick us up because we had a really amazing brand and we had a you know a great business we just needed to change a few things and so I thought this is we're going to survive this uh, and we did so so what happened as, uh, so
1: who 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 took it from the ministry who bought it from the ministry uh,
2: so a business in the US called Erin Condrand, and they had a similar business to us in the US and i was always really excited about the US because we were all about not all about but a lot of, of our products was about personal development and personal growth, so it f- felt really perfect for the US market, and they felt the same. So they bought us. We did a deal over Zoom, and mm-hmm. um, and um, never met them. And turning around, I don't know if you had the experience of of um, of turning around a business that was in that position. It was hard work, like a year, and it didn't make it easier when most of our stores were closed over COVID so uh that was a real challenge uh, but we we were i was really optimistic we just needed to turn around and it's just the most exciting thing now is that there's so so much new technology and you can just do so like in my new business dream life we print on demand it's like a completely different way of doing things so i was really excited about changing that in Kiki K. and then they got nervous in the us because of the government um how they were dealing with COVID and they didn't believe that we were going to open that Christmas. And, um, we believe that, but they didn't. So they just decided one day to pull the funding and put us into admin one more time. Yeah. Again. So when that happened, it was even worse because then we didn't have that great relationship that we had with our board and our business before. So that was, that was tough and, um, horrible people that did the administration. It was just awful. And i I decided really quickly, I'm not going to go down with the business. I'm going to just start again and I'm not going to continue because I want to be back in in control. I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur. I love creating things and I love business, uh, but I don't, so in a, in a, when the U S people bought us, we were just, we were almost like employees. We were small shareholders, but it was just different. Um, and, um, I don't think I'm. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm employable. So I decided to start again.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless how to get 30 30 bit to get 30 bit to get 20 20 to 20, get 20 20 to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts
1: Okay, I'm back here with Christina Carlson. Now, Christina the was she's not anymore the founder and CEO of Kiki K Stationery and Home Office business, and it was global, great business. Uh, ran into some hurdles when COVID struck, particularly when everybody got shut down. It's pretty hard to sell stuff if if you're a shop uh, a, a shop based business. Uh, went through a few investors. You got out. And start up a new business. We're going to talk about that in a second, but I just want to ask you, what did you learn from taking on big investors and maybe the things that you would never do again, or perhaps you would do differently?
2: Yeah. Oh gosh, we could speak for, for days about that. But I think, I think one thing that I would do, not just with the investors, but I would I would grow a CEO or COO or general manager within. It was really hard to get someone that had different values and you know run retail stores before coming in that had very different view of the world that that we did. So that was something I probably w- would do differently. Mm-hmm. Another thing I would do is really understand when you. When, when I signed that paper, I was super aware that I was losing control of the business. But at that stage of my business, I was really happy just to focus on what I was good at. And that was product development. So I don't know if I would have done it differently because no one knew what COVID would have brought. And I'm an optimistic person. And as, as an entrepreneur, there is always a way to work things out.
1: But do you think though, Christina, that the, what's, I, I mean, I, there's one thing I've, I've learned. I mean, I, I've got a business called Big Road. as a finance broking business. We, know, we lend a lot of dough. But in our business, we got, first we got hit with GFC. <laughs> then we got hit with um, a property downturn. Then we got hit with um, uh, an inquiry, a raw Commission, into the banking industry. Yeah. Then we got hit with COVID. And... Uh, only now we're just starting to rebuild and recover. And, and by the way, I would have said to you, if you had, and I, and in my past history, I've never seen so many events in my life. In fact, I never saw one event in my past business, like the wizard business. I never saw an event. Everything was just normal. And one of the things I, I'm getting is these days everything's possible. It could be a hurricane. It could be an earthquake. Yeah. It could be anything. But you bet your bottom dollar something's going to happen. Yeah. We, we, I'd never seen these things. Maybe in your history prior to all, all this stuff happening, you know, prior to Brexit and prior to the bushfires and prior to the lockdowns, you never saw anything yeah. for 20 years either. Yeah. But now these days all of a sudden it seems like we see everything. Yeah. There's wars and there's yeah. now war. There's yeah. interest rate environments, high inflation, Yeah, uh, and it affects my business. So I I, I wonder, and I, certainly I think about this, um, maybe I, I, I don't want you to say to people, don't be an optimist. I mean, you need, need to be positive, et cetera, particularly for an entrepreneur. But I think you these days you've got to not just think, oh, everything's going to be okay and mm-hmm. I'll be optimistic in that regard. I think you've got to be optimistic in that I've got to plan and make sure that my business is able to withstand things that can yeah turn on it on a five cent piece yeah in a second yeah so quickly yeah and make a massive change yeah I I, I just have to make that assumption from now on I and I do now and everything I do I don't, yeah. and I don't want to think people I'm pl- think that I'm playing defensively I'm not but but I'm much more play much more defensively today than I ever have done in the past as an entrepreneur.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, and, and in my new business, I, you know, retail is, is tough. It's expensive and, you know, and when Brexit happened and, you know, they put up the rates, it was just, you know, those, you can't really change, you can't pivot from that really quickly because you are locked into long leases. So I am very much uh, cautious now on, 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 um, my, in my new business. No, what, that let's I'm let's gonna...
1: talk about that. Then. <clears throat> yep. Your new business. Yep. Is it, it's, you've written a book. Have you written a book?
2: Yeah. It's I wrote a book. Yes.
1: Your Dream Life.
2: Starts here.
1: Yep, And uh, your business called The Dream Life. Yeah. Um, and you have stores as well, but what is different about this business that you've tried to do to sort of, um, shelter or proof yourself away from these disasters that, that sort of negatively affected Kiki K. So what have you done for the new business?
2: So, still, I'm still. So, there's like three components of it. So, one. So, I, I wrote a book because I, I did a lot of public speaking. I got invited to speak a lot to share my story. This is before everything happened, and uh, there was always a f- handful of people coming up after asking me, "What, what do I do next?" And I, I, I need some more. And then, so I decided to put it into a book where my lessons on how I created my dream life, and uh, it's really just about making sure that your dreams and your purpose. And your values and your passions are all, all aligned, and um, so I did that. But then, not a, a lot of people read books, so then I thought I uh, I would uh, record it and sell it as an online course.
1: So you did an audio book.
2: And yeah, an audiobook as well, but also I, I, I created am. a course okay, so cool. people can learn dif- in a different way. And then people buy the course, but they don't always do the work. So now I have a coaching program, a twelve month program where I help people because I I haven't met anyone yet uh, that has come with a dream that it's not possible. They often they are just limited beliefs themselves. So I feel like I can help them with their right mindset and and help them make it happen. Is it one
1: on one or one on group?
2: I do one on one, but very little. It's more a group now. Because, and how, how big are the groups? Uh, we the current one is about forty five people, and um, and I also have a book club because I'm a big reader. So I have a book club called Grow, and it's all about personal growth books. Uh, and there's about eight member eighteen members in that. And then I have I'm doing a lot of talks. I want to share my story to entrepreneurs. Uh, I have so many you know business in. 25 years. I have so much I wanted to share for up and coming entrepreneurs. And there, so I do t- uh, public speaking. So my big goal for these financial years to do 104 talks. We'll s- see how that goes. And then I have a product store because I I love putting pen to paper. There's a lot of research that you, know, you learn so much better and reflecting and it's just, I love pen Pen and paper, and I love journaling. So I have a product, a a product store called the Dream Life Store, where we, we you can personalize your um, so it's print on demand. So you can personalize all um, the uh, journals, and uh, I do uh, collaborations with people who have amazing content because now I can. It's print on demand, so I can work with much smaller. Uh, individuals or communities for anything. So, we're doing something with Breast Cancer Foundation and we've been. Doing- can you
1: explain what that is? Like, can we give an example how that works?
2: Yeah. So, um, so let's just say that you want to do a mentor journal. Uh, you have a few ideas where you think if people reflected on this if they answer these questions you could give that to me and I will design a journal for you and every time I make a sale wherever that sales come from it will go cut to you as well so it's a win-win and I love doing business this way because now I can I can work with so many experts or so many people who are um, good at what they do that not we might not have that content ourselves. So we do a lot of collaborations but so we we'll you do
1: you, you provide access to experts for an audience.
2: Yeah. So for for so we put that information into a journal. So we have mind. So we've done um, a collaboration with Mindful in May. They're all about mindfulness. So we put her content in a journal, and uh, uh, we have done one for mom entrepreneurs for, from an organisation um, that is all about supporting mums uh, in business. So so and then we do our own content because that's what. I live and breed personal growth. So I'm putting all that content into journals um, as well as, you know, I do posters, T-shirts, um, um, cards, all the things like that I've done in the past that I still love but it's a different way now when you can print on demand and the technology is incredible because you we print here, we can print in the UK, you, Europe and US. So it's really exciting instead of sitting with millions of dollars of inventory, yeah. that's another little learning. Which
1: means you've got to have warehouses <laughs> and shops to store, exactly. which means you've got to pay rent in- and- and ship them there.
2: between stores, and yeah, it's just uh, oh, it's just incredible to be start like doing a startup. It's it's doing a startup again is hard because I, at the end I didn't really know much because I I um, had such an amazing team that did all the work um, you know I was still a creative director and I still did a lot of the product side but I just didn't know a lot about the other departments in, in the beginning uh, in a startup you know everything and then obviously you grow the team so now I'm back in the startup which I love because I love learning and I love a small team and I I only will only work with people that I really love working with because I feel like life is way too short not to.
1: That's the, uh, I agree with that part. <laughs> so have you managed to maintain your original desire, if you go back to 1990s, when you first kicked this off, when you were 22 years of age and you wrote down, well, you, you're driving your partner mad, Paul, <laughs> and you wrote down in the middle of the night at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning um, stuff about your connection to Sweden. So are your designs in your new business, The Dream Life, are they still faithful to... Swedish design.
2: Absolutely, our designer is hundred percent Swedish. Right,
1: and, and and what does that mean now? Then, so <laughs> is there any difference to what Kiki K would have designed? I mean, is it well? Sp- I don't too dissimilar.
2: Well, I don't know what they're doing now because I have nothing no, to no, do with them. No, Back then, back yeah. when you, did, when but, you owned but it. we we would then have a Swedish designer. So the design that I work now with now, she's been with me since day one, uh, and she's in my in my new business. Uh, but we had we had. Uh, other nationalities as well is it was more about aesthetics to make sure that they can do it to to the brief
1: because you still want to express who you are yeah yeah you're, you're interested in, in, yeah. in this business expressing who Christina Carlson is so it's like it's about
2: that yeah
1: I mean and, and I think that's important because it gives you it definitely gives you an edge clearly clearly you know despite what happened to Kiki K you clearly you know what people like and what sells and yeah and 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 also that you you know how to continue continue to create and cultivate that sense of Sweden, you know, that, yeah. and that's cool because I mean that I don't know anywhere else where you can get that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah, um, no, I, no, I, I,
1: st- I wouldn't have a clue. Um, I know in terms of furniture where I can go to places to buy that style or that concept, but I don't know what to do in terms of things like journals, etc., or anything that's soft and you know soft co- copy. Uh, that that's very interesting, and if you had an opportunity to take on a private investor or a private equity fund, <laughs> would you do it again? And what would you do differently?
2: No, I, I'm i going to do this myself and uh, I would if if that was an amazing individual that will bring so much value, so not just the cash, uh, which would make a difference to us, then I would definitely consider it, but I would not give up control again. Yeah. Definitely. That's that's without doubt. Because I want to co- I want to control what I create and what I do. And also I want to I want to keep this quite small because you can we can <clears throat> we can do this in a much, much more efficient way because we don't sit with inventory, we don't need warehouses, we we it's just a very, very different business. So it feels like I have the freedom now to create whatever I want, and it's it's so I'm just so excited about this new business because I feel like there's no limits, but I don't have to have this big overhead and expenses that you know drags often a business down unless you have a lot of cash coming in. So I can then ride the ups and downs in a much better way. and I'm really excited about. My big dream to inspire one hundred one million people to write down three dreams and go chase them. So I, I said I'm a big dreamer because I, and not everyone will agree with this, but I really believe in when you have a big dream, you just look at the possibilities. But if you just set goals where you are, so when you do look at normal goal setting, you often just stretch yourself a little bit, like you might run a little bit further, or turn over a bit more, or change a little bit. But when you big dream, when you dream big, and you ask yourself, "What would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? If I had all the money and the resources, the knowledge, and all the things that we don't normally have in a business, what would you do within your business, but also within your life? And if you had a health and the energy, which is so important, I'm really um, interested in well being. And you know, my dream is to become 120. And a lot of people laugh at that, but it's really possible now. It's really exciting time to be alive, to um, to be able to try all these things to to live not for the length of it, but living a healthy long life,
1: health span as opposed to lifespan.
2: Absolutely. So I'm really excited about what we can do as a business to help people living their dream life, whatever that is for them. And I feel like now that with with having a much smaller business, much more agile and me being back and me and Paul being back in control, we can now create anything and we can work from anywhere. So we live in Sweden was have in um, over winter. We escape the their app.
1: winter or our winter.
2: Our winter, so uh, we just winter. be in summer yeah. in yeah. Sweden. Yeah, we don't want to be in Sweden in winter. <laughs> no, 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 Well, some people do, but I don't.
1: Yeah, but well, some people like might like to go skiing or something, but um, they're, yeah, only, exactly. they're only there for a couple of weeks because there's all that romance of the snow, etc. When it starts to get icy and wet and muddy and yeah. uh, dark, long dark day, that's not that romantic.
2: No, I agree. I, it's their fire fireplace then, yes, and I, a few I, books, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and
1: or down the pub, indoors yeah. somewhere like, and uh, and uh, that's, that's uh, I, I've been through that process, and I. I I don't think most people understand that there is a romance associated with um, snow and skiing and all that sort of stuff and uh, it's all pretty beautiful, et cetera. But there's nothing better than the spring when the snow melts.
2: I agree. <laughs> there's nothing
1: better and uh, there's nothing better than a, a beautiful warm summer in a place, particularly northern Europe, a warm summer when the trees are full of leaves and flowers oh, and the grass are growing and it's warm underfoot and you're not putting a 1,000 lots of clothes on.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, that, that's, to me, that's r- really romantic.
2: Yeah, that, agree.
1: Long days, Yeah, l- beautiful long days. Yeah. They go for 15, 16 hours. Yeah. There's There is no better place for okay. me um, than those Northern European countries. Yeah. I, I 100% believe because it's not like scorching hot like it is in Greece at the moment. It's like 48 degrees. Yeah, exactly. It's much better. And it's funny, you know, you, it sounds like you still got the same romantic you know, you, 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 dreaming big is about being a romantic in terms of—I don't mean love and all this sort of stuff, but romantic relate in relation to nature and um, the way things feel and look and smell and you know how they how they when you touch them the, the tactile nature of these things. It seems like you haven't lost any of that romance.
2: No. No, and i'm I feel like I'm to the core. i'm I'm Swedish, and it's funny because I uh, my kids are half Australian, half Swedish. and when they come to Sweden, they just become so Swedish. And when they hear they're so Australian, it's That's really perfect. amazing. They're both entrepreneurs, which is so fun to kind of watch. and I always brought the kids into the business. and it's been so fun to now see see my son just started a golf brand, and it's just so exciting because he came in the other day and he said, I had the best phone call of my life. And I was like, oh, what was that? And he also wants to play cricket for Australia. So he's very focused. And uh, so I was like thinking cricket business. Like now someone wanted to sponsor him for his kind of golf day that he's planning. It's so inspiring to see kids, um, I guess, because when we when we started a business and they've seen us work so hard and and also seen their, you know, they. The amazingness of that and the lifestyle that we had for a long time, and then losing everything. And as a as a mom, I, I knew the whole time I'll survive because I, I I worked so much on myself that in the hardest time, I just continued with my simple stuff like meditation, walking, being out in nature, all the things that I've done journaling, structure. yeah, that I've done in the good times, in the bad times and it's I kept really quite even on that even though it was really challenging. But I wasn't quite sure about the kids because I, that was hard f- for me to understand if they knew that we'll get through this because obviously we were in every newspaper, every radio station, every television show. It was not every television show but all the t- TV news and uh, that was a challenge definitely to see the kids going through that.
1: Yeah, but what's interesting, um, Christine, is that you can now look back on it and sort of put it, you know, mark it down as experience yep. and uh, life experience. Yeah. And it's interesting how you just talked about structure and people often talk to me about, wow, what's the mindset? You know, given the Australians, have, Australia's having you know, reasonably tough economic times at the moment, so it's probably most of the world. Um, yeah. But I often say to people it's about you know, how you set your mind and, you know, eventually we'll get through it mm. and we'll, Get back to good times, yeah. And uh, really, it's about how do I survive these times? What have I got to do to survive these times? Um, so they can take advantage when the good times come. And that's mindset. And that is come, mindset means by definition setting your mind, building a structure, yeah, and just sticking to it, yeah. And uh, everything will be okay, yeah. Especially in a country like Australia, for oh, God's sake. Like absolutely. We're not in the Ukraine where where we're getting where it's a war. We're gonna we're just gonna continue to get bombed for whatever. We're not there. We're in, we're in a great country where yeah. every opportunity exists. And unfortunately, don't listen to the newspapers, don't listen to the media. They'll drag you down.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I never watch. And, it, and it's funny because sometimes at the airports you have their news coming through. And I'm like, if people watch this, it's no wonder everyone is so down. Well, you know, I certainly read some of the news, but I, I don't just go on this mainstream, you know, bombarded with things that just scares us. You only it. need
1: to hear it once. Exactly. The problem today is you hear it 30 times in a day. Yeah. The same thing. Yeah. And they're all they all have the same theme. And then and if 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 you get hit in your brain enough times about something that's bad, it'll actually reflect in how you live your life and how you sleep. So for me, it's just I'll look at whatever I need to know. I I've seen it once. Yeah. Um tomorrow'll be different anyway. And and then I, I don't discard it, I, I park it and then yeah. I'll wait to see how things develop. And but I think you've got to also on the flip side of it, remember to live your life. Like like you just said, you go for walks in nature, you do your meditation, you do your exercise or your gym or your walking, whatever it is. Hang out with the people you like to hang out with. Don't yeah. hang out with people you don't like. Yeah. Do not hang out with people yeah. you don't like. Absolutely. Don't do business with people you don't like.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: And don't do something you don't like. So in other words, do something that's a good purpose for you. Yeah. That means something to you. Absolutely. Whether it's something in relation to your heritage or whether it's something in relation to where you come from, in your case, like Swedish design, do those things and... Deliver delight and um, surprise to people.
2: Yeah. Delight. Continue yeah.
1: to surprise and delight everybody yeah. as often as you can.
2: Yeah. But you know, it's interesting because a lot of people that come into my dream life community, they often have dreams that are influenced by their parents or, or, teachers or peers, and uh, it's not really until they really start thinking, if I could start again, you know, if what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? Because a lot of people are scared of the failure. And I think as entrepreneurs, we're all scared of, you know, that failure. And now I feel like I can deal with anything because I've, I've gone through the worst. And, um, and now there's nothing that really scares me because I know that I can handle it. And I think that's a really good feeling to have when you start a business because now I'm just going to create what I love creating.
1: Well, Christina, I really appreciate your honesty. And, and by the way, you're frank. Just talking about Kiki K, what happened. And uh, and I um, I feel quite excited about your new business. Oh, thank you. The Dream Life. And I think you probably tapped into some sort of rich vein there and given your experience as to what not to do, what to avoid. Yeah. My gut feeling is it's going to kill it. So congratulations. Well oh, done.
2: Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production
1: assistant, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news, ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com newsadfree. That's amazon.com newsadfree to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: Hello, listener. Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection to find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? With ACAST podcast ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Bert to your Ernie, and avoid those red flags and time wasters. Your ads can communicate with them in the most intimate way possible,